I'm Michael Boxall, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and i'm joined by robert mccloskey's popular children's book blueberries for cal williams on the docket today we'll talk about some games that weren't within the context oh sorry oh my gosh this got a little confusing in my writing on the docket today we'll talk about some about the games that weren't as in the ones that were suspended uh within the context of the whole season we'll jump in the Wayback machine to talk about the game against houston and look ahead to the game again, Cincy. But first, we wanted to take a moment and give a shout-out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season. Those partners are Allianz, Alina Health, Bell Bank, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota, Federated Insurance, and M Health Fairview. We really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with us throughout this weird and wild season. To learn more about any of our partners, you can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Cal, how about that snow out there? It's gnarly. Um, I'm not ready for this at all. I was very much looking forward to um, what seemed to be a lovely fall ahead of us for at least a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden now, we are just decimated in snow. Um, Tried to drive around yesterday, had one or two little things to take care of, and it was just a disaster. It was complete chaos out there. Um, Yeah, just not very pleasant, really. But uh, here we are with several regular season games remaining. (laughs) Yeah, I believe this is, I, I, I have to check in on this. I think that the record before for snowfall was like three inches by this date or something. So we definitely blew past that, which I think would make, the, I think this was going to be the biggest storm earliest ever in Minnesota. Uh, not that it was, you know, as far as disastrous snowstorms, we're not talking about the Halloween blizzard, which everyone talks about all the time, uh, which I was not present for, but I've been around long enough to know that it happened. Uh, it, you know, it, it obviously gummed up the works a little bit, but hopefully we got a little a little melt in here. I think it's going to be supposed to get up into the 40 area, top 30s uh, for the next couple of days, which is good news for me because my furnace is broken also. So uh, I got a lot of things hitting the fan all at the same time. Um, so it's it's going fantastically well over here. I also know you have a cat, your cat sitting. How, is, how do you enjoy uh, cats overall? Well, I, I am a cat person. Not, not that I'm a, um, against dogs. I love dogs. I just love animals in general, to be honest, Steve. I am an animal man, and sometimes I bond with them better than human beings, um, which isn't really that difficult in 2020, is it? Um, <laughs> sure. But, uh, yeah, no, the cat's great, just very needy. Um, and I don't mind a little snuggle here and here and there, a little head boop from time to time. But this cat is particularly needy. Um, I had to shut the door before we started recording this because I know for a fact it would have been all over the place here. And um, it would have been meowing consistently. So we would have had no chance. So we'll hear it at some stage, though. I bet you it's at the door right now. I bet you it'll start meowing at some stage. I just imagine it. I'm sure your door does not have windows in it, but if it, like we have some doors in our house that have little windows, I just imagine the, the cat just sitting at the door with its little paw up, just, what, Cal, why'd you leave me? Yeah, and that's what gets me. I'm like, oh, okay, come in and come in, you know, and, <laughs> and I'm completely ruined. You can't let them in. As I keep telling my kids, when the dog is, we have a dog, and uh, uh, when the dog is, is bothering them, they're just like, they're talking to it, 
They're like, leave me alone. Like the dialogue is, I was like, just ignore him. Like just, if you ignore him, he will figure it out and he will stop. But as soon as you, and he has unerring sense of attention. If you, if you give him even like the side eye, he, he knows you're, you're paying attention to him. So you just got to completely shut him out of your mind and then I'll leave you alone. He'll go fall asleep somewhere. So, uh, I'll, I'll try giving it a go. Yeah. But it's very, very hard with this cat. Let me tell you, it's difficult to ignore a cat that's consistently running around. And if they're not running around, they're rubbing against your legs or just plonking themselves on you. I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult. But hey, here we are. There are worse things in the world, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad. All right. Uh, let's talk about these postponed games a little bit, uh, you know, within the context of what we can, we can sort of uh, assess. I sort of want to think about them in terms of the whole season and just the way that this, the texture of the season is so odd. The, the game against Chicago Fire has been rescheduled uh, for November 4th. Uh, no word as yet, I believe, on FC Dallas. Uh, FC Dallas is also the last team that Minnesota United plays this season in any case. So, I, you know, I've heard things about teams possibly making up games in the time between the end of the regular season and the, the playoffs. Uh, but it seems like not every team is going to end up playing the same number of games at this point. Colorado's missed like six. They're like six games behind right now. So, um, I mean, is that is that just how it's going to be? <laughs> I mean, I... I know you have control over this, so please tell me. <laughs> I, I, I just, I mean, you know, I know the whole points per game thing has been talked about as well and, and a predictor and all this kind of stuff. And I, it's just so unfortunate because I thought the Rapids were actually looking fairly decent, actually. And then they, they had the outbreak of the virus. And um, look, safety has to remain paramount, doesn't it? You know, that, yeah, that's absolutely. be all and end all. Um, and... If it means forfeiting the season from a Colorado perspective, then I mean, so be it. You know, I, I just I, you, you never want to see that happening. But um, if it comes down to to people's safety and um, a game of soccer, <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta obviously go with the safety. So yeah. I, I just I don't know, Steve. I don't know what they're gonna do. I, I wouldn't like to be the person who was making these decisions because. There's some really, really difficult ones ahead for them. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how they are going to make the six or seven games that they've missed. I don't know how they're going to make it up unless they do. You know, once it's safe, they do. You know, a because you, you've got to schedule the opponents as well, and, and it's got to right. work for them. And, and you know, and, and unless they, you know, they do games on. Okay, let's do a, a Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, if, if possible. But if not, then you do. I don't know. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, or something. You know, work around the opponent's schedule. I don't know how they're going to do it, Steve, but it's um, it, it has caused a problem for Major League Soccer, and um, I, I don't think they thought that this would happen. I'm sure there was a plan of some sort in place, but to deal with with something uh, and the severity of a situation like this, where there are six or seven games that have been missed. I, I don't know. I don't know how you plan for it. You know, I'm sure there were some conversations as to what happens if one or two are missed, but six or seven—that's a whole different story. Yeah, well, it, you know, and, and just as even to begin with, you knew that they probably sort of had some sense that you're you're heading into a season where you're going to have to have two games a week for most teams most of the time. There's just not going to be a ton of like flexibility as far as you know scheduling in extra games that you need to schedule in here or there. And then you've got the weird matchup issues that come with like, you know, what does strength of schedule even mean anymore? You know, I was looking at an article on uh, the MLS soccer.com uh, talking about, you know, who's 
uh, you know, who looks good and everything like that. And it's like, you know, Portland's Portland and, and, and Seattle, like, how do you separate them? And it's like, well, Portland has ended up playing the galaxy who have looked terrible, like three times. <laughs> and it's like, I would kill for a game against the galaxy after having to travel to, you know, Texas after Minnesota went to Texas, like every other day, it felt like for a month. So, you know, it like, that's also just weird. So even the points per game thing, again, it's like, it, maybe that's a better way to determine it, but you're still going to be kind of stuck with these records that are very weird records. Um, you know, and I think that also the other thing, as we were just talking about, weather is going to become a factor like real quickly here for some teams. I mean, coming here to play, you know, your last set of home games. I mean, you know, we got, we got a couple of weeks left here. Uh, it could get real snowy for some teams who, you know, for when FC Dallas wants to come and play. Uh, or I, I don't know, I can't remember. That's, that's not a way. Actually, is that annoying? It is a way, but, but Minnesota finished the season at home to FC Dallas. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. like, man, that, that, that's, that's we could have another uh, snow. We had, we had the snow opener. We could have this, the snowzer, the snow, the snow closer now. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's just, it, it is um, an issue that, um, only a handful of countries around the world really deal with, and, and this obviously being one of them. And um, can you imagine MLS Cup final here, Steve? It would be <laughs> wouldn't it? I, I remember doing MLS Cup final in 2013 in Kansas City, and it was early December, I think, and it snowed then, and, and there was frost all over the place, and, and there was the field. I mean, really, yeah. now that I think about it, the, the game shouldn't have been played, really, but it was. And, and I remember my father-in-law telling me, he was in the crowd and he went to go and get a go and get a, a can of beer and they ran out because it was so cold, all the beers had exploded within. <laughs> so it, it was just such a bizarre situation. I, I can't remember exactly what the temperature was that day, but it was cold. Yeah. My point here is it'll certainly be colder here. Yeah. I, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it, Steve. It would just be crazy. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to bring up with the, the schedule overall uh, and and sort of the league overall. What what's your feeling on the 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 supporter shield decision? The decision to not award uh, the supporter shield this season. Um, I'll give you my reaction after I get your reaction. My reaction is I was at first I was disappointed because you know this season just simply getting through it it feels like a reward in itself. But for the team that finishes top of this league, they should get a reward. I'm not suggesting they should get the supporters' shield, but there should be a reward of some sort. And if the supporters' shield has been the consistent reward for that accolade over the last 10 years or so, then just keep it as it is. The other side of it is no supporters should there be a supporters' shield, because it is a shield that it's not just a piece of silverware and hardware. It does represent the fans. Um, and it was something that was created by the fans, that, that's continued on by the fans, and a small group of people um, that, that have put this together. Um, so I can see both sides of it, but, but I, I, I have to feel sorry for Greg Vanny and Toronto FC, who are leading the way at the moment. Um, you know, they've, um, to my knowledge, they've not won the Supporters' Shield before. And it was something that, that was in their mindset they wanted to do. Um, we know 2020 has been different. And whatever happens this year, there will be an asterisk next to 2020. Um, if you win the league, if you win the Supporters' Shield, what have you. If you're you know, um, in Europe and you win the Premier League or whatever, you know, there will always be an asterisk next to this season. Um, but that's OK. It doesn't mean you have to change things. It's just we're always going to remember what it was like. 
Um, so I, I can see both sides, Steve, but, but I know if I was around a team that were realistically involved in the Supporters' Shield chase, I would be very disappointed. Yeah, I think that uh, I, I understand that, you know, knowing, thinking about it a little more and, and reading the statement from, you know, the ISC, I believe is the organization. And um, it, it, there's, there's a sense to it for sure. Um, my immediate reaction was like, I mean, we've had so many things taken away from us this year. Like, can we just give, like, I just feel like we're all in need of a reward, you know? And it's not like Minnesota United is in, is in the running for supporter shield, but it's just like, do we have to take away one more thing? Like, it's just so many things are being taken away. And it's like, I, you know, I sort, of, I sort of feel like if there was some kind of situation where, you know, there's been issues before in MLS and, and certainly in the wider world with supporters and supporter culture and conflicts between teams and supporters. And if there was some situation in which, you know, supporters were banned from stadiums or something and, and there was this rift between the teams and the supporters, then maybe that's like, okay, well, there's no supporters. But it's like supporters are still there. Like just because they can't come to the games, sure. you know, it's like they didn't stop supporting the team, I would hope. And so to a certain extent, I feel like, I don't know, I guess my baseline reaction, you know, I sort of under, understand it. I'm a little more sympathetic having read more on it, but I'm still sort of like, come on, we don't get anything. <laughs> like, give us something. Like, let us have it, you know? So I just feel, it just feels a little unfair to me. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a real shame when you talk about it like that. Um, but, you know, the decision, uh, well, look, the decision may very well be reversed. I think they're, they're all having discussions, aren't they? Um, so, I mean... I just thought it was a little bit needless to take it away, to be honest, Steve. Um, just keep it as it is, you know. I, 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 look, I mean, that's me talking fairly naively about the situation because I don't know, maybe there's difficulties getting the shield to a certain location or something, you know. I, I don't know. Um, but we'll wait and see. I, I, I don't think I'm alone in saying I'm, I'm hopeful that, that the decision is reversed and the supportive shield is, is made available because if you finish top of, of the standings, in 2020, it deserves some sort of recognition. For real, for real. Um, all right, let's move on and talk about the game against Houston Dynamo uh, that took place at Allianz Field uh, last weekend. It wasn't quite Tottenham West Ham uh, mm-hmm. as far as the comebacks go, but it was uh, it was a bit rough. Um, you know, I think that it, again in a, in a tight competition for points, a point is a point. And I think any team will say, I mean, we've talked before, you want to get three points at home, you want to get a point on the road. This was, you got a point on the road against Houston in this in ex- almost the exact same circumstances uh, earlier uh, with, with, with the Dynamo launching a comeback. Um, but a point at home really feels like, it feels like a loss uh, when, when, when it goes that way, quite honestly. Yeah, at our stadium, it always feels like a loss when, when you get a tie or um, you, know, you don't take advantage of the opportunities. Look, I've no problem saying this, Steve. It's not good enough. <laughs> it's not good enough for Minnesota United at home to to be tying a game and to have the comfort of the lead that they did and to, to finish the game in the manner which they did, you know. Um, I, I, I remember being extremely underwhelmed by, by a handful of individuals um, that I was disappointed with. Um, but I think more than anything, Steve, it showed, and I think Adrian Heath might have said this, whether it was to us or to the press afterwards, you know, there is something to be said. The fact that the last time they had a proper training session was the day before the Nashville game, which was, you know, what, 10, 11 days prior to this game, you know? So it, it yeah. can take its toll. It really can. 
Um, and um, Houston Dynamo would have had the excuse of the fact, well, they'd played five games in 15 days. So, you know, you can go either way with this one in, in the sense of Houston Dynamo where they looked exhausted, um, they've played too much, um, and obviously things aren't going well. But on the other hand, they continue to be familiar with each other um, and there is a fluidity about them um, because of the consistency that they've played with each other. Um, so I can see both sides, but from a Minnesota point of view, it's, it's not good enough. Um, you have to win your home games. You have to win your home games um, in this league against a conference opponent like Houston Dynamo, who are decent. Uh, they've, they've not had a particularly enthralling campaign, but um, they have some good players. They, they have some individuals that can cause you problems, no doubt. Um, but I, I just thought it was uh, it was a disappointing result, especially because Minnesota led by two. And at, at one stage, I thought they they could have gone on to get three or four. Um, there was the one chance, I think it was right out of the, the gate in the second half, where Molino struck it from the edge. And it was a relatively routine save for, for the goalkeeper, from what I can remember from, from Marich. But I did think to myself, OK, they've started well. Um, there's momentum behind them. If they get a third, the game is completely over. But what happened was late in the game, they, they opened up and, and they presented the opportunity for Houston to get that one back. And it's the old saying, Steve, 2-0 is, is, the, is the most um, difficult and, and sometimes scary scoreline in this sport. Because uh, once the opposing team gets one back, everything changes from a psychological point of view. And that's exactly what happened to Minnesota. Yeah, you, you would almost, Cal, want to see uh, a go, go into the, the locker room, a goal up, and then get that second goal in the second half. You know, like defending 2-0 for the length of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a game is very difficult. Going up early like that, um, it's, it's tough, especially given those circumstances, as, as you alluded to. Um, again, this season is just so weird. You'd think that you would have thought sort of maybe with Houston's recent schedule, they would have been gassed. Minnesota United got some rest, although not training, obviously, but they, you know, they sort of had some time to, to, to recharge a little bit, you know, that they'd be energized. But over the course of the game, it was just Houston looked aggressive uh, and in rhythm. Um, the loons just looked gassed by the end. It was sort of, it sort of reminded me of, you know, like when your phone is, hits that 20% point and it's like you put it on low power and you're just hoping to get all the way to the end without it dying <laughs> and then it sort of dies. That was, it was just, that was sort of like watching Minnesota United. It was like, there was a decent amount of energy. The two goals from, from Ethan Finlay, which we'll talk about a little bit more specifically were fantastic, but also sort of crimes of opportunity, you know, not sort of not things that came out of like clear, consistent ball movement, you know, in the final third that result, it was, it was opportunism that was taken and, and delivered well. Um, from that moment, they just, it just sort of seemed like it was, it was, it was going downhill. I thought one of the things that Adrian touched on in his post game availability that was interesting was that he was kept saying there was poor decisions, poor decisions all night. Uh, and I thought that was an interesting thing because, um, it, you know, it had me thinking that I, I think that maybe decision making, individual decision making is at uh, possibly more of a premium in soccer uh, than in a lot of other sports because of two things. One, the freedom that the players have and two, the size of the field, like just the fact that bad decisions change so much of the geography of how the game is being played. Like if you look at the NFL and baseball, there's not a ton of individual agency. A lot of decisions are made by coaches. Uh, they're made at a level above players. There's a certain level of improvisation that occasionally happens, but most things are like a pitcher is pitching because it's two guys have decided to do it together. They've taken time. There's been a communication. 
uh, you know, coaches will, will move guys into certain shifts. It's very clearly uh, sort of communicated. In the NBA, there's a lot of agency, um, uh, but there's a lot of possessions, and the game is played on such a small court, the amplification of any individual problem is less you know there's so many possessions going back and forth you make a bad mistake make a bad decision on one possession you try to get it back on the next possession but soccer you know like the players are given a lot of license out there you know as 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 is pointed out you know the 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 coach game plans for stuff but once the game goes he he doesn't have a ton of influence on individual things that are happening out there um but there's so few opportunities to score you know there's there's so few shots compared to a sport like basketball or something like that you know it's I feel like maybe this is one of the greatest effects of not practicing steadily for a couple of weeks there, where it's just that erosion of that, some of that inherent sense of what other players want to do and where they're going to go. And then your decision-making is a step slow. You're thinking the game rather than feeling it. Um, and then those poor decisions just are super amplified in soccer because it's, there's so few opportunities to, to, to massively directly affect the game. And then when you make a mistake, it, I mean, you see it in turnovers all the time, right? Like one poor decision at, mid, at midfield turns into a counter the other way, and then it's a goal. And so the, the, that poor decision-making has a huge effect on the game. It's a complicated game, Steve. That's why it's the best game in the world. And, um, you know, look, in terms of the Dynamo result, look, let, let's talk about some negatives and then move on to positives. Yep. Negatives, I thought there were some, uh, as I said, some some poor performances. I have no problem naming the individuals. I thought Roman Itanier was was nowhere near the level that we know he can be. Um, I thought Molino was um, uh, was not at the level that we know he can be as well. And and myself and Kendra D. St. Auburn said this in our in our post-game show, that it felt as though Minnesota really lacked an individual who, who could grab the game by the scruff of the neck and really take control. And, and you want that to be someone like a Kevin Molino. And he has done in the past. And the, the frustration is there because you know he can do it. And when he doesn't do it, it is supremely irritating. So um, I, I would expect more to come from Molino. I thought he was fine in the 10 role, but um, I, I, I think, you know, if you are going to play that role, you, you have to have the ball at feet a lot more. You, of course, you need the pieces around you to make the puzzle work, but um, I, I just didn't think it was his best outing at all. Um, and let's also take a moment to, to talk about the, the red card that never was as well, because Hassani Dotson... Um, to my knowledge, has got some nasty bruising around his ankle after the challenge from Adam Lundqvist. And, um, you know, our cameras caught it um, and we immediately said perhaps that there should be... We, we, we never want to be the, the commentary team that's, that's screaming and shouting for someone to be sent off. Um, that, that's not what Kendra and I are about as a commentary team. But when something like that happens, you know, you, you, first of all, you, you shouldn't... As a commentator there, you shouldn't feel the need to have to do that because the referee should make the right decision. Um, but that, that for me, was, was a, a reckless challenge. No malice behind it. I just think it was mistimed. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it, in my opinion, it, it should have been a red card and that would have given Minnesota United uh, an advantage, obviously, numerically. So um, that was a shame. Um, in terms of positives, Steve, again, I found myself impressed with uh, Baka Dibassi. Um, it just looks like he's played at the very top level for a long time, which is what he has done for the most part. Um, thought he's made a, an almost seamless transition into Major League Soccer and has really added a lot to, to the back line. And him and Boxall look to be very good together. And as you mentioned, Ethan Finlay, two goals, did very, very well, took his chances extremely well. He was a little sharper in front of goal than what he was 
against Nashville um, in the last game several uh, several weeks ago, um, and um, you know I, I think I think he he felt bad after missing the chance and perhaps the best chance for Minnesota in Nashville. Um, to my knowledge, he written apologised to Adrian Heath and the team afterwards because he's that kind of player. Um, mm-hmm. He he holds himself accountable, and I think. Um, Rather than taking a touch too many, which which he he may have done, he may have delayed in Nashville. Um, he didn't make that mistake again. You know, he was um, he was clinical with his finishing. The second one as well is a lovely finish. The first one's very good as well. It ends up in the top corner, but um, the second when when he's he's approaching from an angle and he has to go back across the goalkeeper uh, with his weaker foot. I, I think it was a, a really good finish. So two superb finishes, wonderful display from Ethan Finlay, who. I think once again has has um, put himself back into the starting eleven purely by playing and and not by talking. You know, there's a lot of footballers in the, around the world that that tend to to talk a lot and and then they don't walk the walk. Ethan Finlay is the complete opposite. Um, he's such an asset to Minnesota United. And put out the other day, Steve. I don't know anybody who is who is as um, persistent in terms of being a complete pest like Ethan Finlay, um, in terms of, I don't know, an American like that. Right. So why has, he got, why has he not got more playing time for the national team? Why has he only got three caps? And, and especially now, I would say to Greg Berhalter, you know this player, you had him at Columbus Crew, you know what he can offer. And I understand right now the US are trying to transition and there's a lot of young, exciting, hungry players come through. It's a wonderful time for US soccer because right now I would argue there's more potential than ever. But... Sometimes you do need some of these veterans to, to get the ball over the line. You need them to, to get the results away at tricky places, i.e. Trinidad and Tobago. Um, so I, I, would, I would seriously say to, to Greg Berhalter, just have a look at Ethan Finlay because I think he's so different to anything else you've got on the roster right now. I'm not suggesting he's going to be a star player and start the next 30 games for the national team, but at least have him in the roster because I think his experience can offer a lot. Hello. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think he'd be very good for the national team, but that, that's my opinion. I thought he was excellent against Houston, for sure. Yeah, I think that, um, first of all, on the, the Hassani Dotson challenge there, that, that that didn't get a card or get reviewed, or I guess he got a yellow, right, but, yeah, but didn't yes. get a red. Um, I, I will say where I sit uh, for, for home games in the press box, we're all distanced, but um, we're next to the video booth where they do that stuff, and I saw it happen, and I saw him stay down, and then I heard them like queuing up the replay, you know, as they're sort of setting that up. And I just heard, ooh, like from everybody in there. So like I knew it was it was bad. And then when I saw the replay, I was like, yeah, that's pretty rough. So, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about Hassani and his, his status going forward uh, as we look at, at Cincy. Um, but with that, Steve, sorry, with that, if because if, it was reviewed to my knowledge. And, and because of your story there, there's, there's proof that it's been reviewed and I've certainly had a look at it. How are they not given a red card in that situation? Yeah. I don't understand it. I, I'm, I'm sick of the inconsistencies of VAR. Yeah. Not only Major League Soccer, across the Premier League, it's been woeful as well. I think what all of us want, whether it's fans or broadcasters or what have you, we just want consistency. And right now, it seems like it's anything but. And the I know for the second Houston goal, the ball came across and when Hanson put it in, the referee blew the whistle straight away and he was going to his ear straight away and it's like, there's nothing wrong with this goal. What are we looking at here? You know, yeah. and, and we need some transparency. We need to be communicated to, for sure. And I think the fans need some more information as well because right now, 
I think VAR is all over the place and it, and it really needs reviewing for sure. It needs reviewing itself. VAR needs reviewing. <laughs> we need a, a VAR for VAR. <laughs> um, I'll say uh, Ethan looks great. Uh, first of all, I want to say you said, you know, he walks the walk. He doesn't just, he doesn't talk the talk. He also talks the talk because, man, that guy can talk. The post-game availability for him, it's always like, you know, I'm going through the transcription. It's a lot. Uh, I mean, he's great. He's he's very thoughtful, and I love talking to him. Um, But he also does walk the walk. You know, he's doing that stuff that is perfect Ethan things, running running down the back line sort of diagonally. I mean, I had him on once talking about that. This was two years ago, probably a goal against Orlando, I believe, where he sort of gives the ball up and then he's just sort of running vertically along that line. And it's like, maybe you're going to end up offside, but maybe not, but you're right in that spot and you're making yourself a pest, like you said, and, and dangerous. And, and that's what he, you know, that's, that's what he's made his living doing. And, and there's long busting runs, man, when he goes, he, when he gets the ball and he just goes, it's, it's great. So it got him into the team of the week, uh, you know, for, for uh, MLS. Also Dane St. Clair was on the bench. We should mention, uh, you know, obviously not, the best game after giving it being, you know, going, uh, not giving up any goals for a long time, but his run of 349 minutes without allowing, allowing a goal was the longest in Minnesota's MLS history by a pretty good bit. I think the last one was something like 270 or something like that. So, uh, so more good stuff for Dane St. Clair. And I was going to talk about Baki Debasi in the next, uh, as we preview Cincinnati, but we can talk about it here. I wanted to have it. Yeah. A brief moment of appreciation for him because I, I think that it, it, people can forget that, adjusting to a new league uh like mls comes along with a whole lot of of ups and downs and bumps and bruises sometimes guys just don't transition that well even if they're very good players uh we saw ramon metanier last year did a great job just jumping right into into his role there um but Tabasi is just slid in seamlessly he's a big body he's a great partner with michael boxall um underappreciated I think partly because I mean Boxy is underappreciated and then Debasi's contributions are probably underappreciated I think at the end of this season um you know we're gonna see that we got quite a good player in Debasi um and that that center back pairing is going to be fantastic going forward yeah absolutely Steve and also as you mentioned there perhaps the most underappreciated man on the field at the moment seems to be Michael Boxall um if, if there is an end-of-season awards going out internally for Minnesota United. For me, Michael Boxall would be the Minnesota United Player of the Year right now because he's been superb. He's hardly put a foot wrong all season. Um, still is the only player to play every single minute of the regular season as well. Um, and also, this is the thing, I, I've, I've not mentioned this um, yet. I don't know if, if, if it's known or not. But Michael Boxall actually separated his shoulder in a game against Kansas City. Um, and he's been... I'm not entirely sure what he's been doing, but he's been he's been um, having treatments on it and playing through the pain um, throughout the the last five or six weeks. I mean, he's a, a <laughs> he is a gargantuan man. He is um, he's somebody who he's a leader, Steve. He's a leader for sure. There's a reason why why he was um, given the captain's armband in, in Alonso's absence, you know. And um, imagine doing that. Imagine separating your shoulder. And then thinking, ah, oh, it's okay, no big deal. I'll, I'll take the appropriate league cleared medication, painkilling things, and just get on with it. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable to me, you know. Um, so again, someone who, who is vastly underappreciated around Major League Soccer, I think, and um, I, I think his contributions need to be um, need to be looked at a lot more across the league. 
Sorry, I'm trying to keep the uh, background noise from bleeding into your, your responses, but they just stopped. That's great. Um, so yes, Michael Boxall, incredible. You know, he also had uh, a second child during this season, um, which is never easy on anyone. Uh, second, second child is hopefully a little bit, you know, the, the terrain a little better than, than with your first one. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just don't, I don't even want to imagine separating my shoulder regardless of whether I have to go play soccer. So. Right. So I'll just stay with that. Uh, I did want to throw out uh, something that sort of came up on the broadcast. That we were, you know, I, I, I heard, um, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm not trying to accuse Kendra of not, uh, of anything without her here to respond, but there was a discussion about possession and how much Minnesota needed a little more of the ball to just sort of stabilize uh, the game. And I think that there's certainly um, good, a good point there as far as like trying a, a team that is up uh, two goals, you know, needs to be able to hold on to that ball and not give it up. Um, but I did a little math right here in games. This is all over the season. MLS is back included, uh, games where Minnesota United has had more than 50% possession. They are two, three, and two. And in games in which they've had less than 50% possession, they're six, three, and four. So the team has played well without the ball. And I, it's just one of those interesting things. We've, I, you know, we've, we've talked about it before as far as the possession. And I think that most coaches want their team to be a possession-based team. It, it, it gives the feeling that the, the players have agency. They're on the ball. It seems like a no-brainer that when you have the ball, you have more control of the game. Um, but I'm just always curious about this thing of, like, if you just see a team, like, hey, when you have less than 50% possession, you seem to be doing pretty well. Sh- not that you want to give up the ball for that, but, like, there is, there is some level of understanding to come to, like, this team is best on the counterattack right now. They just don't have – you know, the way the season is right now, they don't have the personnel to control the ball consistently in the final third um, and create scoring chances out of that. Their best work comes in the counterattack. And that's, I think that's okay. Yeah, well, I, I don't think you, you need to really control the ball and have a huge and an abundance of possession in the final third, Steve, because you obviously that's when you're breaking away. I, th- I think Kendra's point was probably alluding to the fact that Minnesota didn't have enough possession during that particular spell that she was talking about, which, which, was, which was correct because Houston Dynamo came into the game and they looked a lot more comfortable on the ball. Um, whereas if Minnesota would have, would have gotten a hold of it and calmed it down a little bit and, and executed a couple of passes around and, and just slowed it down a bit, I think it really would have helped Minnesota United. But, um, you know, look, I mean, we're, Minnesota are fortunate in, in the fact that there's plenty of individuals that want to keep a hold of the ball. I, I think when you look at... Ozzy Alonso, who we're expecting to be a regular piece in the eleven now, after he seems to have recovered from his injuries, um, alongside Corey Hayes, I, I think the ball retention from those two has been very good. We're, we're assuming Jan Gregush may very well be back for the Cincinnati game as well after quarantining from um, his travels with with the Slovakian national team. Another player who I think possesses the ball quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're you're always wanting to possess the ball when you're in when you're in um, your third and, and in the midfield, um, because that's where, where you're, you're trying to play the ball forward to look for, for different angles and, and look for a way forward. I'm not too concerned about um, teams possessing the ball in the final third at all, because it, you know, that's, that's, where, that's where you are expected to be quick. That's where you are expected to break. And, and it's not too much of a concern, in my opinion. It depends on, on how certain individuals want to, want to play the system or whatever. But, um, you know, no, I think... Um, Ball retention is is something that is a peculiar subject that comes across um, a lot in world football. And as you've said already, Steve, um, and I agree that it, it's not a major objective um, throughout the entirety of the 90 minutes. Um, 
However, you never want to give the ball away. Um, and I think if you're organised enough, you can get away with it. Um, in the sense of not, not having enough possession. If you're organised enough defensively, you can get away with it. If your shape's well-structured, then I think you're OK. Um, but we've seen when when you've got a side like Minnesota United who likes to press and counter-attack, I, I don't think it's the... I don't think it's a, a massive problem, but um, I, I think Minnesota United are fine right now in terms of the ball retention. I really do. Yeah, I think it's it, to me it's just more interesting to consider the question of what is efficient tactics, and and and, and maybe it's there's certain conventional wisdom things that come down um, through the history of any sport about like how to play, um, and that uh, you know those things aren't always. I mean, some of those things are just done that way because they were done that way. They're not done that way because of, of being backed up by you know a rigorous look at like what comes out of those things, and so. Um, you know, the, the stuff about that we talked about in the last, I think it was on the last podcast with Chase talking about this idea of, of defensive pressure um, before the ball is even turned over that, you know, the sort of squaring up to your man so that if the ball is turned over, you can get it back right away. You know, it's been a long, you know, one of the things that people figured out in, in basketball is that it's just always better to, to attack a defense that's disorganized. Like it doesn't yeah. matter how good your technique is in terms of finding a shot it's just better to attack a defense that doesn't hasn't had time to figure out where everybody goes and that's what the counterattack is in soccer essentially and so um you know again it's like how do you it can be difficult to manufacture exactly that look without necessarily giving up a lot in terms of possession but it may you know it's just one of those things where there's been innovations recently in terms of set pieces and, and how coaches approach those and realize that it's one of the few times in soccer where you get to you know, go from zero uh, rather than one team being up or down. It's sort of this neutral moment uh, where both teams sort of figure out a plan and then it's your plan against the other plan. And so you have a larger degree of control. But also maybe is there something to the idea of those moments when there's less control, like letting those things fly rather than trying to hold on to them so tight. So, you know, it's just, it's an interesting discussion to have and interesting to see where the, the sport is going to go overall, as you said, internationally even. So. Yeah, and I think as well, soccer's probably, and correct me if I'm wrong here, forgive my foreign naivety, but I think um, soccer's probably the only sport where things can change in an instant in the sense of because of the size of the fields, you could be in the centre of midfield, there could be a situation in the centre circle, for example, and all of a sudden Ozzy Alonso pings the ball over to an overlapping uh, metanier and everything changes completely. And all of a sudden you've got a completely new problem from a defensive point of view there, you know, so... Um, it just depends. It depends on, on the system. It depends on the situation. But um, as I said before, best game in the world. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about Cincinnati. Um, we were hoping that maybe um, Jan is, is, is back for this one. Uh, again, the lineup question is always going to be the one that we're dealing with as far as injuries, absences, uh, all kinds of stuff, who's in, who's out. Uh, I thought that uh, I wanted to say you mentioned, you mentioned Ozzy Alonso before. Looks great coming in. I mean, there's certainly, as we were, as we were saying in the press box, certainly worse problems than having Hassani go down and having to bring in Ozzy Alonso off the bench, uh, who just immediately provides his steadying hand to that whole uh, sort of upper back line, you know, sort of that guy in front of the back line who controls things um, and gets everybody calm. You can always see him saying, you know, like, it's okay, let's slow it down a little bit. Let's, yes. let's think this out. Um, so it's possible that we see, it's possible we see Jacori and Ozzy. It's possible we see Ozzy and Jan. Um, so, you know, th that midfield pivot again, I felt pretty comfortable with Jacori and, and Ozzy. Jacori has looked great. Uh, I mean, First of all, the tuck is fantastic. He tucks his shirt in, which nobody does. And it just, it's just very tight. I love it. So, um, 
And uh, I'm going to be talking to Jacory tomorrow for a loon dive uh, on on Thursday. Uh, so everybody, anybody who's paying attention now can pay attention to that. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun uh, to talk one on one with him for about 15, 20 minutes. But um, but I mean, you know, like I, I feel pretty comfortable with an array of of center mids that is Jacory Hayes, Sasani Dotson, Ozzy, and Jan. That's that's pretty good selection. Yeah, it's yes, it is a pretty good selection, Steve. You're right, and and when you think of Jacory Hayes coming in, it's essentially the fourth choice central midfielder there. It's not bad at all. I, I still can't believe I was having this conversation the other day with somebody. I still can't believe Minnesota were able to get Jacory Hayes for a third round draft pick. And that's essentially daylight robbery right there. That 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 is superb business by by the people who are doing these deals. Um, and um, he's. You know, not particularly expensive either. So, um, for me, he's, he's a perfect player for, for someone like Minnesota United to have. So, uh, I've been impressed with him. I think um, I've been impressed in the sense that I didn't expect as much from him. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I haven't seen him as much as as clearly Adrian and, and the staff has. Um, so, I've been very impressed with him. I think I think he's blossomed since he's come to Minnesota and, and he's had a new lease of life, really. I think he was, um, you know, almost, um, uh, almost deemed sort of quite surplus to requirements at Dallas, but I mean, it was, you know, he, he wasn't, um, he wasn't playing first team football as much as he is here. Um, I, I can't remember the number off the top of my head right now, but the game uh, against Houston was something, I think it was, what was it? It was his fifth, fifth start, I think, his fifth consecutive start mm-hmm. for Minnesota United. Let me get my notes. Hang on. This is, this is what you get when you, when you're watching live and you're not listening to the audio version. So this is what you should, you can see Kelly do from from now on is, is watch us live. So here's my my match boards, um, which I'm I'm going through things. So Jacory Hayes made his fourth consecutive MLS start for the first time since May of 2019. Hmm. Um, so I just I don't think um, I, I I don't think uh, I certainly didn't expect him to be as consistently starting. Um, but the fact that he is proves a lot, and and I think um, someone like him is is so key to have around uh, the roster, and uh, he's, he's impressed. He really has. Yeah. Um, so looking at the the team coming into this game, I was working on writing up the the preview a little bit, and so what I <laughs> what I said is the good news. The good news is that Minnesota United is undefeated in their last four games, uh, and includes three clean sheets. The not so good news is that Minnesota United have only managed one win in those games, uh, you know, including giving up a two goal lead. The, it gets better news is that their lone win in that four was against FC Cincinnati, who they're heading to face. So sort of all, you know, seems to even out in a way that, that, that could be favorable uh, for Minnesota. Of course, I believe things were favorable before and have been proven wrong by them, but uh, Cincinnati certainly not looking like world beaters. They've lost five of their last six and uh, they lost to DC United, which seemed like the team that everybody gets to have a win against so far. So um, I, I, there's a lot of things to like about FC Cincinnati um, overall, not so much right now. It seems like Cal. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting just looking at some of my notes that I made earlier on here today, Steve, and, and very much like Minnesota, it is just one win in the last seven in major league soccer for FC Cincinnati and the, the single victory from the, the last um, seven came at home as well. They've not been great at home in the last seven games either. So um, it doesn't exactly resemble a, a fortress Nippet Field for them at the moment. Um, you know, it, or Nippet Stadium, Rob. Um, it's, um, I think at the moment, FC Cincinnati are undergoing a bit of a transitional period, obviously under the new head coach, Yup Stam. Um, he wants to play a certain way. 
Um, he wants to play this 4-3-3, which, which now, um, after a while of, of playing with five at the back, it was against Minnesota where he first tried out the 4-3-3 at Allianz Field in the last uh, victory for the Loons. And I thought they were quite good, actually. I thought they were quite unfortunate that day. No, no doubt Minnesota were the better team and deserved the victory, but it was probably the best iteration I've seen of FC Cincinnati since they'd come into Major League Soccer. Um, and I know that doesn't say a lot about them, with all due respect, but uh, th- there are some um, some real positives for them moving forwards. Um, I think they've got some decent individuals. Um, I know he was, um, <laughs> not to sound harsh, but he was woeful against against Minnesota, Jurgen Locardia. Um, but there's a player there, Steve, I think I mentioned on a previous podcast, I saw him play for, for PSV Eindhoven uh, several years ago, and, and he was wonderful. I'm still convinced he's better as a wide player than he is a centre-forward, but this is this uh, alongside maybe three or four leagues around the world is, is the only league that, where he would come in and play as a centre-forward. You know, I, I think he's much better as a, as a wide player with, with perhaps um, Yuya Kubo as, as the, the centre-forward, but the, the two of them seem to have swapped around and Kubo is playing out wide and Locardi is through the middle. I don't know, for me, they're, they're, they're better when they're switched around. Um, but... No, I, I think that they've got some decent players, Steve. I, I like um, uh, Makocho, the South African centre midfielder that they brought in from Brentford. Um, you know, uh, imagine Ozzy Alonso sort of, you know, 10 years ago. You know, he's, he's very, very good. He's, he's a, a hard-nosed, um, never-afraid from a challenge type of defensive midfielder. No nonsense. Um, keeps it simple. You know, he's, he, he could be exactly what they need, you know, because they've shipped a lot of goals again this season. So, um you know, so I expect it to be difficult, no doubt. It's never easy, especially in the current climate, going away in Major League Soccer. But because of Cincinnati's home form again, and because of their form in general, it is a game where, once again, you do have to say, right, perhaps this is one where you would fancy Minnesota United, knowing the roster that they have going up against Cincinnati. But I don't think it's going to be as easy as, as a lot of people will suggest. Um, let's put it this way, Steve. I would take a 2-1 victory away at Cincinnati if you offered it now. And I think a lot of people would as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're definitely getting into the crunch of the season where it's like, you got to get points every game. You get, you got a point out of a home game against a team you should have beaten. You got to go get three points against a team on the road that you should be, that you should be beating at this point. So, um, but it's going to be tough. Again, the, the schedule, uh, players coming in and out consistency, uh, who's out there on, on the pitch. Um, you know, the, Definitely the, the Minnesota United just looks – I just said the Minnesota United. It sounded terrible. Sorry. I was going to say the Loons, but then I went with Minnesota United. Anyways, MNUFC out there, uh, you know, against Houston, just a step slow. Just, you know, a, a hair behind on the decisions, a little too much. Uh, I mean, aside from, you know, those moments when it clicked, that Ja'Cory move to get Ethan open for that <clears> – <throat> find oh, Ethan. Gosh. Oh, I mean, the turn in the past, like everything was great. I was thinking actually leading up to that goal – um, to throw it back to that game, but also, you know, the, the possibility of, um, you know, one of Reynoso's, it can come back into the lineup without Reynoso, um, Minnesota United generally lacks that guy who can make the first defender miss, um, in, in, in quite the fashion that Reynoso can do it. And I thought that in that, in that move, Jacory was that guy. He made that first defender miss that caused a collapse that opened up something, you know, when you've got, uh, you know, for all of, Robin Lud's good qualities. Again, I think defensively he's underrated as far as his job as, as, a, as a winger defensively. And he can obviously hit goals. He's second on the team in, in goals right now. Um, you know, a little deliberate, a little slow, not usually beating people with the ball at his feet. Um, Molino has the possibility of doing it, but he also can get dispossessed of it. 
Uh, Reynoso is that guy where like when he gets pressed, he gets out of there and he makes the defense change to adjust to him. So uh, when, when they can get Reynoso back, that's going to be a huge factor in terms of having a dynamic attack. Yeah, without sort of saying it, I was alluding to that earlier on, Steve, and the fact that I think Minnesota missed someone to grab the game by the scruff of the neck, and, and Reynoso absolutely would have against Houston Dynamo, in my opinion. So um, if he is available, I don't know if he is for the Cincinnati game, uh, that would be great. That would be wonderful. It would um, it would give Minnesota United a new lease of life. I think um, after the what was a good point away at Nashville, but then having the two games postponed and then the tie against Houston, I, I mean, I don't know this because obviously we're not around the players, but there is almost a, almost a stale feel at the moment. It feels as though something needs to change and, and perhaps the re-inclusion of Reynoso will, will give them that spark that they obviously need. I, I don't know. As I said, I don't know if he's available, but if he is, if I'm Adrian Heath, well, Adrian Heath will <laughs> absolutely put him back in that number 10 role. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for the 117th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Saturday, October 24th at 6.30 p.m. when MNUFC heads to the Queen City. I found out it's called the Queen City. To square off against FC Cincinnati. Uh, we didn't talk about Skyline Chile. Let's talk about Skyline Chile next time. I don't know if you've had it, but it looks, no. it looks like a disaster. So uh, <laughs> you can watch that on Fox Sports North and listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Venturis. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you. People can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>